Evelyn McKenzie. Hmm. Pardon? Yeah, could be. I don't know. Did you have any Clevelands around here, Tom? Up here in the... Where is she? No. Nope. Took her that one. Oh, okay. Well, her family originated from up in Coventry. And her dad was a sheep farmer back in the day. So, anyway, we're going to Psalm 60 here and uh, did have a blessing. The wife and I went out to see nature beyond our backyard. <laughs> she wanted to go to Moss Glen Falls. Anybody been up there? Oh, a few folks been up that way. And uh, I couldn't really take a lot of pictures of us going up there because once you get beyond the walk boards and the paths and whatever else out that way, it's it's tree roots and whatever else you're for the steps to get up there. And uh, I know that when Peg looked at that, she said, I'm not doing that. And I said, you got me up here, you're doing it. And so she pretty much crawled up. She got up there at the top and uh, got down very safely. So we praise the Lord for that. And, uh, and, uh, and, you, and she told me that was the easiest of the falls to get to. So I got a feeling after that when she's not going to take me to any more waterfalls. <laughs> <laughs> at that particular point. I don't know uh, along the way there anyway. So, well, Psalm 60 tonight as we look at uh, the third message from the uh, Psalm 60, the title of The Danger of Presumption, Part 3, The Danger of Presumption. And we're going to be looking at verses 4, 5, and 6, and 7, and probably 8. But as we do, let's go back to the beginning. He says, O God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. O turn thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. Thou hast showed thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth, because of the truth. That thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand, and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide. Shechem and meet out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of mine, of mine head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Philistia, triumph thou because of me. Now, as we continue to explore Psalm 60 tonight, the subject of presumption, and we do so to discover the impact that presumption can and does have in and on our lives. In this psalm, David is recounting the problems that his presumption caused him by getting ahead of God. And sometimes as Christians, we get ahead of God, don't we? We're going to presume that because what we're about to do for God, therefore God is going to be in it. Now, we said before in the first message series that we did here in Psalm 60 that there's a big difference between doing things for God and doing things with God. The 
attitude or the exercise of presumption does not exist when you're doing things with God because God's leading. God is in the leadership position. When we presume, we get ahead of God. And that is oftentimes because we use another, uh, another uh, title in there and that was too big for our britches. We don't think we sometimes need to trust God. We don't need to wait on God. We don't need to present it before God. And uh, I'm convinced, even though I'm sure that most of us don't practice it, and you're probably convinced too, and that is that we really need to bathe many, many of the things that we choose to do or decide to do and bathe them before the Lord rather than just presuming that because we are the children of God that if what we're about to do is for God, that God is going to be in it. And that is not always the case. So perhaps initially David was taken aback. He's assuming that because of Samuel chapter 8 and all the different victories that he has won, God was leading him, God was guiding him, God was with him all the way, that this was a no-brainer. I'm a child of God, look what God's done in the past, I'm going to go do this now. So we don't really have any indication from David that he spent a lot of time praying or fasting about whether he should go up into Mesopotamia and uh, wage war there and to claim what God had promised that he would give to Abraham and so on. And while he's on that excursion, the Edomites from the south attack. And so now he's got forces in the north. He's going to have to give up some of those troops, head to the south there, and protect the southern borders. And he's taken back because he can't understand why in the world would God let that happen. I'm between a rock and a hard place here because now all of a sudden my troops are stretched thin, my supplies are stretched thin, and I'm in, I'm, I'm in danger of losing the, the nation of Israel. And so, and you look at verse 1, it says, Oh God, thou hast cast us off. And he doesn't understand that. God, we're doing this for you. I think there's a lot of churches today that are doing things for God, but they're not really doing things with God. They're not being led by God. They're just out there doing their thing. Now, the rationale may, in their mindset, be okay. Uh, after all, I mean, how can, how, can, how can you go wrong when you're doing things for God? Well, there's a lot of people out there who are doing things for God that have no relationship with God whatsoever. And so there's a huge difference. As the children of God, we need to learn, learn to wait upon the Lord and let the Lord lead. And as the Lord leads, work with him. Amen? And so perhaps David reasoned within himself. Historically, God had promised the land to Abraham, and it had not been totally taken. It had not yet completely been subdued. And so I'm going to take it on myself to go ahead and do this. Well... God has guided me in the past, David thought. I do not see any reason why he wouldn't be in this endeavor as well. I mean, he promised Abraham, and I'm just going to make it happen. And so, I will do this thing for the Lord. I will do this thing for the Lord. Well, the problem here, unlike the past, as we had mentioned about 2 Samuel chapter 8, the number of victories that David had, had, forgetting that somehow each one of those victories that God was in the forefront. So, the problem here, unlike the past, in which David, God used David in that David was working with God during those other battles. We find here that David is striking out on his own. And so David covers this in this psalm, a number of problems, which is the case any time that we presume to be acting for God without actually discovering if God is in the endeavor or not. God always has his timing. It may have been that eventually God would have led David to do that. But if God wasn't in it initially, then there's a pretty good chance that God's going to tell David real quick here. And we're learning that from this psalm here. And that, hey, you're out in front of me. You're out. You kind of, it's like being going up the tree and going out in the branch and cutting the branch off behind you. <laughs> Not the smartest thing in the world to do, amen? And so David covers it. 
and uh, presume to be acting for God. So the idea is not to presume that God is in something if God is not on board with it. And we can't assume that everything that we choose to do, that God is in it. It may be somebody else. God has that in mind for somebody else, but not me. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's me. That God has this plan and this purpose there, and then all of a sudden we, we charge in there. As uh, I can't remember years and years ago, back in my pre-ministry days, uh, there used to be a song out there, Fools Rush In Where Angels uh, Fear to Tread. Uh, but, and that's how it happens a lot of times. Uh, we get ahead of God, and then we wonder why in the world this thing's not working out. And so thus far, point number one was that God is sometimes forced to turn against a good person. So when you get ahead of God, that means that you're not really being inspired and a lot of the inspiration that you need to, in order to follow the Lord or follow the Holy Spirit of God, uh, that uh, God's not there. You're, on, you're really out there on your own. And so God will have to bring a good person's intentions and bring them back to reality and say, listen, if you're going to do this, I will command you to do this. I will lead you to do this, but you don't get to strike out on your own. But secondly, God knows how to get our attention, doesn't he? When we're barking up a wrong tree, God lets us know real quick. You're barking up the wrong tree. And then thirdly, bad things in the lives of good people produce great results. And I, and I share with you about Joseph. Now, his brothers hated him. His brothers despised him. And they meant evil. I mean, they, they, they meant pure evil. And they sold Joseph into slavery. The Sabaeans sold him off to the Sabaeans. The Sabaeans took him down to Egypt and sold him on the, on the, on the auction market. And Potiphar purchased him. And uh, he was faithful to God. Uh, as a servant uh, in Potiphar's house, he was faithful. God blessed him there. Even when he was uh, uh, false charges were brought against him by Potiphar's wife, God was still with Joseph in prison and led him to be the second highest of Pharaoh in all the land. Well, you know, eventually time catches up with us, doesn't it? And as you get into, uh, into uh, Genesis chapter 50, and Jacob has passed away, a uh, big entourage has gone up with Joseph and all his brothers have gone up uh, into uh, further up in the, in the Canaan, and they're going to bury him in the uh, field of, uh, I'm trying to think what the name of the field is. Machpelah. I, I said to say Pelah, but that's, that's rice. <laughs> but but in, the, in the field of Machpelah. Well, he had purchased, and that's where, of course, Abraham, and not Sarah, but who, who was buried with him? He had two wives. Leah was buried with him, not Rachel. Rachel died, and she was buried by an oak tree. But that was his first love. But some say, they don't believe that was God's choice for him. That Leah was the one who was the one who stuck by him through thick and thin. And he, she was the one who got buried with him in that particular field. Just a little side note there, by the way. And so anyway, when they came back here, the brothers were beside themselves. Okay, now Joseph is going to get even with us. And of course, they basically threw themselves at his feet and begged him to be merciful. And his response was, am I in the way of God? He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it to save much people alive. So we don't always understand the way God works. In the end, we will, if we're patient. And that'll be the next one coming up, I think, on a, on a Sunday morning message. Learning to trust God, because impatience is a lack of trusting God. But nonetheless, um, Joseph nailed it when he said, simply said that there are things that sometimes people mean for evil, but God means it for good. Now, I'm not saying what David did, he meant it for evil. But he got ahead of God. 
and God was going to turn this thing around. But it wasn't going to be concerning the, uh, the uh, uh, winning uh, Mesopotamia, but it was going to be a lesson for David and a lesson for his men that he and Adi could learn themselves but pass it on to this generation and generations to come. And so we look at number four tonight here, and that is presumption is best cured by a godly fear in verses four and five. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. And then verse five, that, that thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand, and hear me. Now, not so long ago, an Australian, I guess, for lack of a better word, liberal young lady, Remember the article, she came to the United States and she got back to Australia and she wrote that she was really upset. She was beside herself that because in America there are American flags everywhere. Everywhere. And she said, it just turned my stomach. I mean, they had flags on trucks, they had flags in houses, they had flags on business, flags everywhere. Yeah. Well, of course she... She got the tail end of that one. <laughs> I'll tell you that. By the time all the pundits had uh, acknowledged, uh, acknowledged her, she probably buried her head in the sand somewhere to hide from it all. But the American flag is a banner. And wherever it is around the world, it stands for freedom, stands for liberty, stands for opportunity. We're losing that, yes. We're losing it because there's a generation that doesn't really care. There's a generation who hasn't really known what hard times are. They have never had to face real live bullets. I mean, what they see on those foolish games that they play, you never run out of bullets, and you never run out of lives. But on the battlefield, they're real bullets, and they're real bombs, and people lose their lives. So they have never really, the, the hardest thing they've had to do probably was take out the garbage or cut the grass. And some of them think even that's unreasonable when it comes down to it. But I believe that she's indicative of a, of, a, of, a, of a generation, maybe not quite so much here in America, but around the world. And they have been taught and they have been schooled that nationalism is not a good thing. Well, the word fear has at its core in verse 4 the idea of reverence. Reverence. I know the Greek word for that is phobos, and it means one of two things, to literally shake and quake with fear or to reverence God. And again, I don't think many people really fear God in the context of reverencing God because they don't realize what God is capable of. He is, he is capable of great and mighty things. Look at the galaxies that he has created, the stars that he has put in space, the love that he showed but he's also a God of terror to those who reject him. A God who, now he loves them. He wants them to be saved. But you tag God and you're going to pay a price for it. There's going to be a price to be paid. Now I'm thinking of all these judges now, these liberal judges that are after Trump. I don't doesn't matter how you feel about Trump because there's something bigger than Trump going on here. Right. Much bigger. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, you judges are so stupid because you're going to face the judge who knows your hearts and who knows your wickedness. And you talk about paying a great price. And so there, for you and I, even today, I believe there is a lack of reverence toward God. 
Well, David's about to find that he should have had a greater degree of reverence for God when he chose to go up into Mesopotamia. The fact that he really needed to know, is this of you, Lord? God, do you want me to go there? Do you want me to do this? And God, are you with me? But he struck, off, he struck out on his own. And so we look at this here to revere God as the most important, the most significant person in our lives. And we should choose to do nothing without his leadership. Nothing. And so to fear God in the context of disappointing him as one of his children by ignoring or discounting his leadership in our lives is so, so vitally important. That first of all, let's not disappoint God by discounting him, discounting his leadership. But to fear God in the context of love, to revere God as the love of our soul and our wanting to do everything at his behest and nothing without him being at the center of it all. Now, I don't question David's devotion to God. I don't question his love for God. However, we can, as David did, to presume to act for God when in actuality we're not. Sometimes we may have in, in at mind and at heart our own best interest. Maybe there is a subconscious attitude and indifference that simply says, if I get God in this, it won't go the way I want it to go. God may have other plans. Well, if God has other plans, then be smart enough to realize those will be the right plans, amen, <laughs> not the dumb ones. And so a banner is important. A flag raised on a, on a lance or, or on a pole leads men into battle as a rallying point of the soldiers. During the, if you ever watch any documentaries on the, 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 civil, the civil War, that each side had their banners. And you always had the, the banner man, the one who carried the banner in the battle. Didn't have any weapons. He carried the banner. And usually when the generals or the officer in charge gave the, gave the word charge, the men started rushing the battlefield. I guess who was in the forefront of it all? The man with the banner on the pole. And if he got shot and the bullets were flying, the next man coming along would grab that banner and pick it up. And he'd keep moving forward. Because as long as the banner was moving forward, the men could see it, the men would move forward. And perhaps maybe the greatest banner was the time when the American flag was raised on Iwo Jima. And there were just a few soldiers who managed to get up. Uh, was it Manitoba on Iwo Jima? Suribachi, Mount Suribachi. Uh, get up on Mount Suribachi. And they raised the American flag. And you don't think the American soldiers that were down at the base when they saw that American flag before their hearts just didn't leap out? Absolutely. But that was a scene that was seen all around the world. And everybody around the world realized that, hey, you know, things are not going to go very well for the Japanese. And it, and it gave Americans heart. And those who may have been wavering rallied around. And so the banner was important. A banner in the life of the Christian is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where we hold him in our heart. So the soldiers who raised the American flag on Iwo Jima during World War II was an inspiration for all. This banner of which David speaks is the knowledge of knowing God, that he is present, that God is the one who is doing the leading. It's never comfortable to get out ahead of God. Never is. You get out that way and you're always going to be wandering, wandering, and everything else. 
So to know that God is there in your mind, that he is the one who is leading, is the banner that we follow because we have a confidence and a trust in God. And so uh, when David came to his came to a realization, and he writes about this a little bit later, it was absent from David. There was, there was no banner. There, there was nothing there to make David realize that, hey, this is of God. Whoa, this is me. This is not God. And so a banner to them that fear. Now, why was that? Because the flag of which David speaks is only to be experienced in the midst of godly fear, godly reverence, and not to be found where we strike out on our own. You can have the best battle plans laid down, but if God's not in it, it's not going to work. Now, there's a reason for that. David, I don't know if he was seeking glory for himself and assuming that this would just kind of give him a bump in the polls if there was ever any problem or not. But he's out there and he realizes that he is losing his soldiers. He's about to lose his country because he chose to do something that he did not know if God was in it or not. So sadly, many believers have lost their sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God, which again, his presence is a banner in our lives. He is our, 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 our convictor. He convinces us. He leads us. He leads us in all truth. He is our light. And so many believers have lost their sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, so much so they continue in life unaware that what they do, they have lost his convicting presence. And I believe a lot of churches are like that today. All their programs are geared around not what God would have them to do, is well, how do we get the unsaved to come into church? Well, we have to look like them. We have to act like them. We have to sing like them. We have to dress like them. And we do all this compromise along the way. And they get them in here. And you've heard me say it before uh, that uh, down here in Bennington, uh, Dr. Torty, he made a comment. He said, what you win them with is what you got to keep them with. So it's not a matter of winning them, getting them in there, and then getting better. You stay the same. Or you regress. Because then you've got weak, anemic, spiritual people, if they get saved, who become leaders within the church. And the compromise just goes down and down and down all the time. And so we look now at number five here very quickly. God's credentials are the only ones that matter. God's credentials. Verses six through eight. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of mine head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Philistia triumph thou because of me. Now, God is countering in this psalm, and David's recognized, and David is acknowledging. Boy, you know, it's, it's really important. Uh, you know, sometimes testimonies are always glowing. Well, we led this person to the Lord, we led this person to the Lord, and boy, this happened here, and I got the money here, and I got this. And, all, and we love to hear the great things that God's doing. You know, sometimes a testimony is how God rebuked you. Amen? Now, you say, well, why, why, why would that be pleasant? Because you might be speaking to someone else in the process. And David was rebuked because of his getting ahead of God in this instance. And David wants us to know, hey, don't make the mistake that I made. Don't get, ahead of, don't get ahead of God. And so God is countering David's pride because of past victories, reminding David that it is God himself who gave him those victories. 
And the word or letter I is a very telling character of the human heart. Amen? The letter I, I did this, I did that. Well, how about the Lord enabled me? How about the Lord led? Those are so much better. And so we tend to take personal credit or associate ourselves with somehow because God did this, I now, you know, okay, you get the point. Uh, it is the idea to take personal credit for the things that God does in our life and is doing. You know what? You and I can never save a soul. We can't save anybody. We can lead them to the truth. And if they accept the truth and accept Jesus Christ, it was the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, that used you as an instrument to bring them to that place where they could do their work. And so ultimately, each individual is saved by God. We are the instruments that God uses to go out here to take the gospel, to pray with them, to share it with them, to let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to do the work. Now, John chapter 15 and verse 5, uh, where Jesus is giving a, a lesson, a sermon, a message, if you will, on the vine and the branches. And in verse 5, Jesus speaks of the vine and he speaks of the branches. And he states very clearly, he said, I, I, am, I am the vine. And the reason that he is the vine is because without, without, without that vine, the branches have no life. They can't produce anything. In fact, they will wither if they even exist at all. So he is the vine and we are the branches. And if the, and if the branches are separated from the vines, the branches can do nothing. They will wither and they will die. And so Jesus finishes off verse 5 and he says, Well, without me, ye can do what? Nothing. Without me. And so the nothings has to do with anything that would impact eternity through our present life. Because man is doing, I mean, man, they're building skyscrapers, they're building bridges, they're building monstrous ships. They're doing all kinds of things out there that don't amount to a hill of beans when it comes to eternity. Because in the end, all those skyscrapers, all those ships, they're all going to be dissolved. They're all going to be destroyed. But only what's done for Christ is going to last. So, when we live unto self, it really is a wasted life. As far as eternity goes, and when we stop and think about it, Eternity is what matters in how we will prepare for it. And that's why in the song that we sing with eternity's values in view, not the value of the temporal things here. Now, we need certain things. God knows we have those needs, Matthew chapter 6 and so on. You know that, uh, that God knows all of our needs and he's going to supply our needs according. So we don't really have to spend a lot of time, but we do have to understand this here, and that is that, that God wants to be first and foremost in our lives. And he wants us to use this life to prepare for eternity. Now, I don't mean that in, the, in a sense of works for salvation. As a child of God, I have a responsibility to demonstrate that I am saved, to demonstrate that the Holy Spirit is at work in my life, and to demonstrate that the Holy Spirit is successfully uh, molding me and shaping me into the image of Jesus Christ on a day-to-day -day basis. And so... As a child of God, my life now is a preparation for what God's going to have me to do in eternity. 
going to be a lot of people doing a lot of nothing. <laughs> I'm going to get up here. Now, if you think you are going to be bored for a week of nothing, imagine the eternity of nothing. I don't, I'm not sure there's going to be a nothing. God will have something for you to do, but it may not be the things that you would have wanted to do necessarily. But uh, nonetheless, we get to heaven. This life is a, a preparation for how God's going to use us in eternity. For the unsaved, this life is an opportunity to come to know Christ, to make sure that their eternal destiny is heaven and not a place called hell. So the idea simply is do nothing with the gospel of Christ, reject it, and hell awaits. Accept Christ and, and live for self, it's a wasted life. Accept Christ and live for Christ. And it's a profitable, a profitable life. Can you read my own writing? But it does. Give your life to the Lord, and it's a profitable life. But if he is not the Lord, then he is only your Savior. A profitable life is when he is the Lord. Because he knows what he wants you to do. He, he knows how he wants you to do it. And so you can do one of those numbers and slap his hand every time he puts his hand on you and tries to lead you along the way. That would be a foolish thing to do. So do not be foolish and presume that God doesn't mean what he says. Because, folks, he does. Every single word God means. Obedience is living our lives with Christ in the lead and his presence is our banner in which we rally around the Lord's agenda and the Lord's will. Not mine, not yours, but the Lord's will. And there actually is one more point, but I think we'll save that for next week. For sure. All right, so we got some prayer cards out there. If you didn't get a prayer card, raise your hand and Steve will make sure you get one. Raise your hand if you didn't get a prayer card. Now, I've added on the back there, uh, Isabel has a medical procedure on Friday, so remember Isabel uh, on Friday, tonight, and as well as Friday. Tom and Vicki closing Thursday and moving. Friday. Okay. Your closing is on Thursday? Closing Friday. Oh, it is? I thought it was on Thursday. No. So what are you doing on Thursday? Well, we're going to start moving the truck tomorrow. Oh, okay. Okay. Hmm. Somehow I got all that backwards, which is not uncommon for me. I have a 